We are moving on in James this morning. Uh, So I'm going to read from James chapter 2, the first 13 verses. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open to that. It will also be projected on the wall or on your screen. James chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over justice, over judgment. James begins this chapter with this verse, this, or this section on, on partiality. It says, show no partiality. You can project that verse, Christopher, please. Thanks. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And this showing of partiality or favoritism or discrimination or putting oneself above or apart from the other is going to be the theme of what we're talking about this morning. And I'll just remind you that this concept of partiality for James is very deeply rooted in the Torah of Moses, particularly in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, where it's talked about often over and over again, usually with these kinds of words, that no one should show any partiality of any kind. And the only way in which we can live like this is when we're deeply rooted in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. With that word glory, I think again of Ascension Day, that Jesus ascended into his glory. Jesus as the one who was God, who had every reason, every right to show partiality. In fact, he is essentially different than we are. And yet Philippians and the whole New Testament tells us that Jesus left his glory behind and came down and joined with us in our struggle. And there was no marginalized person. 
There was no person on the outside of society for which he did not have an eye and for which he did not have a healing word or a healing look or a healing touch. This is the essence of what Jesus was. And for those of us who place our faith in Jesus Christ and who commit to follow him, he gives us through his Holy Spirit, and this is always a process, and it's often a huge struggle. He gives us the eyes to see the marginalized, and then the energy and the resources and what we need to reach out in love to those who are essentially different for us, different from us. So everything I'm going to say from this point on is not in the framework of, folks, if you just try a little bit harder, things will go okay. This is not a try harder. It is that on the surface. But that trying harder, that actually being able to succeed, that being changed in our hearts can only happen when our faith is deeply rooted in this Jesus Christ who went before us in doing this and gives us the power to do it. It can only happen when our allegiance is in him. Otherwise, it's superficial and we'll never be able to keep it up. So as we go on, don't, don't forget this is all rooted just very deeply in the work of Jesus Christ. And then, and if you read our letter from the, um, uh, that came on Friday, uh, one of the commentators I read, and I thought this was pretty interesting, um, commented that James in this chapter, in this, in this the first part of this chapter, seems to follow the, the don't put that question up yet. Uh, thanks, uh, Christopher. It'll come in a second. Go back to the verse. Thanks. Um, James asked three questions. It's kind of like the Socratic method. He's just throwing these questions out for us to think about, questions, out that, that, questions that challenge us. So what I'd like to do is just put these questions up on the screen and then just let ourselves be challenged deeply by these questions. Here's the first one that James puts up. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So James looks at these Jewish Christians who have been forced out of Jerusalem into all of these villages and into all of these places around Jerusalem because of the, because of the persecution. And he looks them in the eye. He looks deep into their hearts and he says, have you not then made distinctions? And what I've, I've called this the inward look. James pushes us to look inward. To look in my heart. Am I not a person who has made, is making, and does make distinctions? Am I not a person who judges? Am I not a person who marginalizes the other? Who places myself above the other? And obviously James is making the point in a subtle way that unless you're willing to ask yourself that question, unless we are willing to ask ourselves that question, 
this issue of partiality is going to stay. Because it does start with this looking in the heart. Am I a person? And the answer, of course, is always yes. Even though I'm making progress, even though I'm understanding more, even though I'm trying harder, it still is a thing that's always there. So James starts with this inward look, and then he moves to what I'm calling the upward look with this question. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? When we look horizontally around us, we see the partiality. When we look up, we see God. And what has God done? He hasn't put the poor on the side. He doesn't marginalize anybody. It's just, it's exactly the person who is poor in the world who is made rich in faith, rich in the kingdom of God, rich in being sons and daughters of God, rich in inheriting the kingdom with all that that means. So first we look inward. Am I a person that discriminates and shows partiality? Yes, I am. Is that what God's like? No, he isn't. He's the exact opposite of that. And then we look outward. Are not the rich, says James, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So now we look at the world around us and not in an accusatory way like I'm a Christian and I do things better, but it's a recognition, I think, of, again, and I always use this word, of the empire that's out there. It's looking out in the world and saying, the world in which we live, the empire in which we find ourselves, whether it was the Roman Empire of the time of James or the American Western Empire in 2022, that empire is characterized by oppression, by the disadvantaged and poor being dragged into court and stripped and shaken loose of all that they have unjustly, and blaspheming the honorable name in the sense that God has made us and he looks down upon us and he calls us by name, we are his. And the empire out there destroys that name and says, you're not his, you're mine to exploit. So James calls us to look in. Am I one of these people that do this? Yes, I am. To look up. Is that the way God is? No, he's not. And to look outward and say, but that is the way the kingdoms of the world, the empires of the world truly work. Now, the question, of course, is how to translate this into today because remember we've said from the beginning that James is likely writing in a very short historical period where the the Jewish Christians of Jerusalem are being forced out of Jerusalem into into the surrounding countrysides 
and trying to find their place in the communities in which they find themselves. They're, they're like migrants or immigrants or maybe even refugees, and they're finding their place. And even in that situation, James is still saying, you're capable of showing this kind of partiality. We're not in that situation. And I firmly do believe that there's not a single one of us here listening today or whenever you're listening who wants to be a person who shows partiality. I have seen examples in this building of people who have come into this building who are different than us. And we have, I've literally seen it, put our arms around them. So how, how does this apply to us today? How do we, what do we do with it? And I'd like to give you a couple examples this morning and then think bigger than just my own individual life. I'd like us to think about systems and the way we participate in systems, in ways of thinking that are more like empire than the kingdom of God. And I'd like to start with the issue of race. This week, I got a book by Lisa Sharon Harper. I actually haven't finished it yet. It's called Fortune, How Race Broke My Family and the World and How to Repair It. And it's a book about her family history. Her family history goes all the way back to the late 1600s to a great, 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 great grandmother of hers whose name was Fortune. She goes all through that history. Again, I haven't read the book. But listen to this in the introduction. Any examination of racial injustice in the Western world must consider the theological grounds upon which legalized conquest and enslavement stood. We must consider the theological grounds. That's church. Pope Nicholas V issued the Romanus Pontifex, which declared that explorers could claim the land of uncivilized peoples and enslave them. That papal bull laid foundations for the legal doctrine that fueled Europe's age of conquest, the doctrine of discovery. This doctrine broke the world by mangling the proper power relationships between people groups. The theological lie of racialized human hierarchy became the fuel for Europe's age of conquest. The world cracked apart the moment the first European explorers looked at indigenous people who had stewarded land for thousands of years and declared them uncivilized and therefore unfit to exercise stewardship of their lands or themselves. From Camelot to Beowulf to Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer and Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, Stories born of European bodies shaped worldviews about European history around the globe. Even the story of Jesus, a brown man, a colonized man, from a serially enslaved people who had lived in a time who lived in a time of occupation and colonization, that story was handed to the world 
through the sanitizing. Through the sanitizing, whiteifying filter of European empires. Africa, Asia, Latin America, and indigenous people around the world received a white, blonde, straight-haired Jesus who always spoke with an English accent. If Jesus is white, then God is white. If God is white, then white people are closest to God. We must bow down to them. Those are pretty tough words. We are part of that system. It's in our roots. It's in our ancestry. And one of the things that James is saying to us is, are we willing to look at that and face that and deal with it? It's not the only story, but it's a story that's deeply rooted in who we are. Are we willing to look inward? Are we willing to look upward? And are we willing to look outward? At the beginning of the service, I mentioned that this was a particularly horrific week for America. And another reason why it was, besides the shooting on Tuesday, was that on Sunday, I don't know how many of you picked this up, on Sunday a report was released on sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention is the largest evangelical Protestant denomination in the United States, consisting of 40,000 churches and I believe 10 million members scattered all around, particularly through the southern part of the United States. This report, commissioned by, commissioned by the uh, SBC Executive Committee, an independent uh, uh, organization, was 300, is 300 pages long, and later was released a list of more than 700 SBC ministers, youth workers, and deacons, which is our word for elder, who, were, who have been credibly accused, many of them convicted and jailed, for sexual abuse of all kinds, including a huge percentage directed at children. It's a devastating report. And most likely only the tip of the iceberg. It's probably only the tip of the iceberg in the SBC. And it's probably only the tip of the iceberg in all churches across the United States, if not the world. What are we going to do about that? What does James have to tell us about that? The extent to which we as Christians, and particularly we as Christian leaders, are willing and capable of abusing, exploiting, and using the body of another person made in the image of God upon whose name God rests. Upon whom upon whom the name of God rests. David Brooks wrote an article in the New York Times this week called The Southern Baptist Moral Breakdown. I want to show two, uh, well, this is the same, the same quote. 
just split in two. Character, he says, is not measured by a person's belief, but by the ability to see the full humanity of others. What James was saying to the church in those that couple of decades was, you folks are not seeing the humanity of the other. It is not automatic. It's a skill acquired slowly. It's about being able to focus on what's going on in your own mind and simultaneously focus on what's going on in another mind. It's about learning how to minutely observe, absorb, and resonate with other people's emotions. It comes about through years of shared experiences, decades of other-centered attention, Engagement with the kind of literature that educates you in what can go on in other people's heads. It's spiritual training to get out of your own egoistic, self-referential thinking and into the habit of asking, what's this moment like for that other person? And if James were alive today, that last sentence might be the sentence that he wrote. We need, would say James, spiritual training to get out of our own egoistical self-referential thinking and into the habit of asking, what's this moment like for the other person? Sexual abuse turns the other person into an object for my pleasure and goes in against what James is telling us to do rooted in the love that Christ showed for every single human being who never objectified or exploited anyone. And it's not just the Southern Baptist Church, and it's not just other churches. Our whole society is sexualized. And the heart of that problem is that we objectify the other person. We do what James criticized that that early church we show partiality we put our own needs and our own desires and our own wants and our own needs above those of the other and then one other thing you may be familiar with brian stevenson who wrote the book uh, just mercy about capital punishment Very famous, well-known quote of his. I'm sure you've likely heard it, but I'm going to put it up on the screen again. We have a system of justice in this country that treats you much better if you're rich and guilty than if you are poor and innocent. Wealth, not culpability, shapes outcomes. So we've talked about race, talked about sexual abuse, talked about the injustice in the justice system. There are other things you could talk about, the environment. You could talk about violence, this this theme, this stream of violence that runs so deeply through our culture. It results in, I think it's more than 220 mass shootings this year alone. The abuse of economic power. And you can go on. All ways in which our culture pays attention to the rich and puts the poor on the side. 
And again, even though I'm convinced that no single one of us wants to be like this, we're all part of it. We come from it. We participate in it. We contribute to it. Sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes it's happened in the Southern Baptist Church. If people call it to our attention, we say they're trying to destroy us. Because didn't we have such a great history? And we're involved in it, sometimes without even knowing, right up to our ears. So what is the way that James shows us? What does he point us to? Well, we read it this morning in, in verse 8, all projected on the screen. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is the way. James paints a contrast between what his readers are doing and what God's purposes and desire for us and all people is. James calls his audience to notice our participation in systems of economic injustice and to mend our ways. There should be a cartoon. There we go. James paints a a contrast between what his readers are doing and what Jesus is doing. And that's what you see in this picture. James calls his audience to notice our participation in systems of economic injustice and to mend our ways. And a little bit later, James says that this is the way of liberty. We often think that the law is something that, that, that um, captures us, that holds us in, that keeps us from doing what we want to do. James says, no, this is the law of liberty because real liberty is found in serving the other, in erasing the lines. And we come back to this idea all the time. We are a community. We are bound with one another and with God's creation. We're part of this web of belonging. No one is free till we all are free. There's no justice for anyone until there's justice for everyone. And therein lies the way to freedom. And Karl Barth put it this way in his book, The Humanity of God. The character of God's freedom is relationship. The ability to be completely for the other. God's freedom is not utter independence, but unforced, gracious attention to others. In particular, God is for us. God chooses to be for the people of Israel to make covenant with them and be their God. Even more radically... God chooses to be for the whole world in Jesus Christ. This is the content of the gospel. And James concludes 
with a warning. Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And I would like to challenge you, along with the challenge at the beginning, to look inward. To ask yourself how it is for you and for us as a community. What would James say to us? How would he define the ways in which we show partiality? How would he lay out the ways that we put someone on the side? You sit over there. What kind of questions would he ask us that would probe deeply into our hearts? Where are the areas in my life and in our life where there is no mercy. And again, it is probably not for any of us an active thing. I'm, I'm going to do something physically. I'm going to keep you out. I'm going to close the door. I'm, I'm going to be active. It's probably more that we just go about our way and don't even notice and don't even hear and don't even read And don't even try to understand that there really are people whose generations go back to how many greats? Fourteen greats. Back to great-great-grandmother fortune. And the trauma of that time, the trauma of what happened to her and her children and her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren continues right up until today. And we, because we're in a position of privilege, ignore and therefore marginalize. And in some cases, when the voices speak out, we say, oh, but you must hate America. Let us not be people who show no mercy. But then James concludes this section, as often happens in the Bible, with this overarching truth. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. To the extent to which my heart or our hearts are touched by this piercing word of James, And we realize how messed up we are and how crooked we are and how much a part of the empire kingdom we are and how much we're implicated in the injustices of our society and our hearts break. To that extent, we hear the words of Jesus from the cross, Father, forgive them for they didn't know what they were doing. And to the extent to which we know people Or there are people who are broken and on the side and marginalized because of 14 generations of racism. Or sexual abuse that occurred 27 years ago on the floor of a pastor's office. There's also mercy for for those people. And so there's mercy for all of us because mercy always triumphs over judgment. 
That's what Christ came to do. That's what Ascension Day is all about. Mercy triumphs over justice. So don't be afraid to look at yourself. Don't be afraid to look at us. Because mercy, the mercy of God shown to us in Christ, triumphs over justice.